The Athletic. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to this episode. And well, if you're listening to this, you are clearly a glutton for punishment. We're going to be discussing Fulham's 1-0 defeat to Wolves. But in all honesty, I think we might be just glossing over it and going straight to the matter at heart. What is going on at Fulham and what is the future now? It's certainly looking bleak. Six points off Newcastle after their 2-1 victory at Burnley. Is there any hope for Fulham staying in the Premier League or is it 100% done championship football for next season? The inquest seems to have started online and no doubt it will continue on this podcast today. Uh, And joining me on the pod, the voice of reason, Drew Heatley. Good evening, guys. A nice calm of oasis amongst the madness, George Cooper. All right, Sammy. And a man whose opinions are as sharp as the aim of Justin Rose at Augusta, Ben Jarman. Oh, I like that, considering I've played golf all week. That's great. Thanks, Sam. Pleasure, as always. Um, Let's come on to some three-word reviews then. Um, I think it's definitely one for Gallo's humour today. So, George, I thought you'd be the ideal person for it. Guide us through the depths of Fulham's three-word reviews on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to be expected, there's a lot of you know, disappointment and misery, but there's a, there's a few nuggets of humor in there. So they, yes, let's, let's proceed. So another spoiled weekend that was from Thomas. And <laughs> I mean, I think we've all, I think it's just getting silly now really, isn't it? I feel like we've all become sort of used to it and expect it, but that's probably it. And that's from Luke Johan. A damn the shame that, which I quite liked. So it's like Very a damn good. shame. Yeah. That's from Thomas Ryland Jenkins. Get ready, championship. That was from Jakob Krupa. I mean, that's, that's got a bit of a positive edge, that, you know, trying to think of some silver linings there, maybe. A bit of yeah. gusto, get up and go after what was a very deflating result. I hate sports. That was from Ari Odds. <laughs> so it's not just football, all sports banished from this guy's <laughs> time. Bob Gareth is next with I'm gutted, lads. You and me both, Robert. Uh, simply no quality from Dr. Fork. Can't score goals, Michael Fletcher. I've stopped believing from Matt Pollard. Dreaming was fun from Alex FFC3. I think, yeah, that's been the best bit about this season, the thought that things might be all right. But yeah, maybe the dream is over. Durs Derpington with a very simple but effective, that was shit. Uh, Faves for champ. (laughs) By Kieran McGinley. So another quite positive one. You know, we're thinking ahead, favourites for championship maybe, but is he accepting our fate? Uh, Sean came in with Board of Parker. Uh, Thomas Stanley, he's put BSC, so I think that means Thomas Stanley, Bachelor of Science. Watching golf instead. Um, this one I particularly like from, from James, uh, Lack of Anything. And I kind of sat with that one for a bit and I thought it's just, it was like poetry. It just beautifully summed up that game. Just a lack of anything. I thought it was quite nice. <laughs> Smitty came in with table doesn't lie. I think, yeah, know what you mean. I really like this one. I thought it was quite clever from Londinium Cooling, uh, a drama triore, which I thought was quite, quite nice. Okay. And then good. my personal favorite from Mitch Sloan, cheers, Lamina's crying. He really was crying, wasn't he? (laughs) 
oh well that was just one of many things happening at about 10 o'clock on Friday night it was all pretty depressing and then it got all the more depressing today after Newcastle's result and um Drew I'll start with you is it over I I can't say it's over. I just I can't say it's over until it's mathematically over. If you know all of us who can remember the great escape season, it was worse than this at a later point. So I know that we're expecting lightning to strike twice, but I can't say it's over till it's over. But I'll tell you what, this is the worst to quote Tim Sherwood, this is the worst I've ever felt in a long time. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, I, I mean, Jams. We'd have been sat here on this same podcast, still livid, had it finished nil nil, and then the fact that that sucker punch came in the ninety second minute from Adama Traore just topped it off, really, didn't it? It almost hasn't actually made all that much of a difference. It was just another like, oh, really, lads? Mate, it was a massive gut punch, wasn't it? Like, just sat there thinking, maybe getting a point isn't the end of the world. Maybe we can claw it back over the next few games. Hope that Newcastle, you know, maybe drop a drop a game or two here and there. And then obviously that happens. And I think the thing about Traore was that he had a couple of opportunities all game and his finishing was dreadful. And then at the point where you thought, you know, we might just hang on for a point here, there's that. And it literally is like getting a punch to the face, isn't it? It was horrible. Like all the blood just drained away from my stomach and I just felt like I just wanted to be sick. Um, I was on Twitter duty that night and I was just like, right, I'm just, like, that's it. 300 views, please. And I'm just off to go and open a bottle of wine. Like, I just couldn't even deal with it. <laughs> I, I just laughed as soon as the goal went in. It was, I, I've never had that before. It was obviously, I was completely devastated, but it was just a sort of just an instant reaction. I was just, I just couldn't believe it. It was so, it was just the worst thing that could have happened. We were diabolical. It was just, it was just epitomized my frustration. I was just like, the one thing that could make could make this any worse happened. And I just I just burst out laughing. If you Never happened laugh, before. cry. Like it really is that stage. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fair enough though. And Coops, we were maybe the better team in parts like we did no. fashion I don't know were we I, am I just being biased I felt like we did have the better of the play at times against Wolves but we never seriously looked like opening them up did we no I mean we were just utterly utterly toothless and I mean to say we were better team maybe a push like it was just such a turgid affair the game was awful and it's been like this all season I don't understand anyone who's a neutral supporter like Fulham has got to be the lowest of the light like you would not watch a Fulham game unless you were a Fulham fan or just you know yeah I just it was utterly toothless I don't think it wasn't a good performance I think I think we did try it was just frustrating there was no clear-cut game plan and it was it was just such a low quality game neither team had many kind of clear-cut chances if any really and yeah I don't I don't think we you could say it wasn't a good performance I don't think we edged it it was just yeah it was just a completely flat and desperate performance and I think the the frustration and the fear you could tell how nervous the players were and they did put in a shift but there was just no there was no plan in place there was no no there was no cohesion there was no yeah, just utterly toothless. You can't, you can't like we we deserve to be where we are because we can't. You can't score as few goals as as we do and survive in this league. You just can't. You can't leave it all to the defense the whole time. I mean, it's got the game had its positives. You know, Congolo played well before he went off injured. Like a hundred percent success rate. By the way, he's like played three games for us and then been taken off three times. It is really sad. But I mean, yeah, no, it was 
I was I don't think that you could say that we were the better team really it was it was just flat you know lack of anything as that very good three word review summed up I think I mean, Drew, Fulham were also given a complete get-out-of-jail card in this game with the VAR decision um, against Pedence, which was ruled to be offside. And look, I was very grateful at the time that it was given. It's a ludicrous decision in the kind of wider scheme of football. I don't think we need to come on to that now. But Fulham were given a reprieve in this match. Fulham were given a chance to go and, and get something. And we still fail to take anything and of course the 90 second goal was minute goal was a sucker punch but Fulham had done the damage before that by by failing to carve out any opportunities against a wolf side that got two points from the last 15 yeah it's exactly that and you know where it would have been the worst time in the world bar the 90 second minute to go one down it was the best time to have something like that happen to wolves where you could go in with at half time saying right boys you know literally we we've got our jail free here we've got you know eight lives left whatever let's try and turn this into a this this is a pos- positive for us let's turn it into a huge positive and, and go at it in the second half and and again we just we just didn't do it and it, for me you know we're hearing all about you know, determination, grit, etc., and that's fine. You can have all of that in the world, but if if you don't have the missing, if you have the missing ingredient, like we've we've just had no teeth all season, and it's it, anyone can see it. We're bringing, we're even bringing in Mitrovic now, and we're still not carving out those chances. And you just think to yourself, well, who's the, where does the buck stop with that? Because I'm seeing a lot of blame online for you know recruitment and things like that, but everybody's also raging about uh, raving about the players that we've got and how you know if we go down, we'll lose all these low knees, and it's going to be so sad. And it's like, well, if these low knees are as good as we're all saying they are every day on social media then maybe we wouldn't be 18th or 19th in the table like do you know what I mean like, I just there's a disconnect there between how we view the players how we view Parker how we view recruitment and where we are in the table it just doesn't make sense well I feel like the neutrals are starting to catch on to us as well and I saw a few people um who are Palace fans talking on Twitter today about Fulham and they're saying everyone seems to be raving about them compared to us and saying how much of a better team they have, but they can't seem to pull it together when it matters. And people are also sharing our conversion rate, which is the lowest in the Premier League, Ben. It's around 6%. And you could not keep clean sheets and there was mistakes against City and there was mistakes against Leeds and there was those mistakes against Villa. But ultimately, if you have to find one reason why Fulham have gone down this season, it's the fact that we can't carve out, we A, can't really carve out chances. And when we do, we tend to blast them over the bar. Yeah, obviously there's a massive um, detractor from the way that we play is that we can't put any of our chances away. I think in terms of chance creation, we're not actually too bad. It's just that chance conversion. I think that when... I think the thing that underlines it is that we played Caballero as a striker for the majority of the season uh, and it just simply didn't work. We've obviously brought in Josh Madger. We thought he'd hit the ground run with those two goals against Everton and then and, and then a goal again a couple of games later. Your top scorer from the Championship last year obviously beat out Ollie Watkins, uh, has scored uh, three goals for us this season, whilst Ollie Watkins has gone on to you know hit, I think it's nearly double figures now. I, I think fundamentally at Fulham's play overall has been quite negative but you understand the reasons why because obviously we went through such a torrid time in those opening six matches the best thing to do was try and shut the door on on conceding those goals and put yourself in the fighting chance of nicking a one nil win here or there but when your when your strikers can't score those goals fundamentally it becomes an issue and we've seen that over the course of the season that 
obviously it's become more of an issue now because we we can't nick those one nil wins anymore because the goals are starting to go in at the other end and I think a lot of people will will aim and point fingers at Scott and, and say that his play is negative. It's quite boring. I mean, I've had a few mentions in, in my tweets this week from people that are saying they'd rather Parker went. Um, uh, and we sort of like tried to swing our way out of this predicament that we're in. Personally, I, I still think that if if we keep hold of Parker next year, it's a good thing. Um, still such a young manager with such a, a huge amount of potential. But you would like to see Fulham actively go up, go after those results. I mean, we spoke on the Thursday pod with Peter about how um, Wolves were winless in five. They had like, two points from 15. They were a team that were potentially there for the taking with a lot of players that were up and down in form. And not once in that game did Fulham look like they ever wanted to go out and win it. There was a case of let's not lose this game. And that's exactly what you don't want from a team um, that are trying to fight for their lives um, at this moment in time. You want a team that's going to go out there and take this take the game by a scruff of the neck and it just simply is not happening. I mean, you say that people are pointing the finger at Scott Parker. Drew, it looks like a lot of people today are pointing the finger at Tony Khan and and talking about recruitment. And I don't know. One hand, I'm getting incredibly frustrated by all of his wrestling tweets at the moment. And it, it feels like an almost lack of acknowledgement from our director of football, not the owner, the director of football about what's going on at Fulham at the moment. But also part of me wants to acknowledge that we got through the playoffs. We probably are one of the weaker three or four teams in the league and shock horror. We're in the bottom three where is it the right time to be looking at whether our director of football needs to change right now? I think that it can be a bit of both. I think that, you know, we're all, as I mentioned earlier, people are raving over the players we've got. Now, how have we got those players? It's the recruitment team. Khan is the head figurehead of that. But actually, we don't know how much of a day-to-day operational role he has in that. I'm tempted to say not a huge amount because obviously it's impossible to, I think, at this stage for him to be doing that because even if it's just a case of optics, at the moment, he is all... All, all elite you know he if especially it's not just what he does on twitter it's what he's done doing on american television it's all of these different things uh he's obviously not focused on fulham now at the moment i i can't go any further than our predicament is where we are where we are because of the players on the pitch and because of the of the manager because we've got the endeavor we've got the determination we've got the the will to win but we we is it it's, it's for me it's a skill it's a it's a talent thing it's a it's an ability thing we are where we are because either the ability of the manager not being able to make all of the different pieces fit i.e making Mitrovic fit into our system or i.e uh, we've 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 shored up the defence, but we he can't make those uh, attacking pieces work. Um, you know, I, for me, it's it's down to that. And we can also say at the same time, the the Tony Khan thing has not helped. It's not helped this. It doesn't help us in the long run. It's something that we need to look at in the, in, in the summer. But so for me, it's a bit of both. And you know, we talk about our goal difference and all of this sort of thing improving, but Newcastle have minus nineteen and we've got minus eighteen. So you know, our one ace up our sleeve is gone. And, you know, Khan hasn't had to do anything since January and that's eroded since then. So what, I don't know, to me, it's a bit of both, but we can't, we can't, I don't want Khan as director of football. Let me just put that out there on the line, but I don't think that at this point we can blame him for everything. I think the, the buck has to stop somewhere as well with the, with the players on the pitch and, and the man in the dugout. The thing that bothers me most is that 
ultimately, I think it's a bit of a futile argument because we're stuck with them. There's no, there's no way that anything's going to change. You know, that's not going to sack him, no matter how you know many fans protest. But I think because Fulham obviously means. Do you so- think though? Do you actually think that? Do you not think that Shahid Khan, if the fan dissent got to such a level, would think? yeah, maybe I need to change this? Or do you think he's just steadfast that, no, it's my son? I think you, you have to look at the context. Because if you, if you look at it from wider than a Fulham point of view, he's got, he like, Shahid Khan owns two franchises and both of them are terrible at the moment. Like the Jags, the Jags have the number one pick overall, which they will see as a positive because you're getting a once-in-a-generation quarterback. But what you have is a franchise that has gone from one, get one play away from going to, I think it was the Super Bowl, to being arguably the worst franchise in the whole of the NFL in, in, one, in two seasons. Um, and then you look at Fulham, obviously we get back up, it's a massive positive. We haul ourselves back up in January and we get no reinforcements whatsoever. And I think that, yeah, I, I've, I, whilst I agree with George, I think it's futile because he won't go anywhere. Shard won't sack him. But I think you have to look at both the franchises and say that Tony Khan's not doing his job properly. And if I was Shard, I'd probably make a, some sort of move. I was, yeah, I was just saying the thing that I find so, and like, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from, Jones, but it's the fact that we're in this position, like Fulham means so much to all of us. And like throughout this pandemic, it's been the one thing that we've all been able to look forward to, you know, watching your team. And then to see someone who seemingly is just so disinterested, I feel like it's not an awful lot to us to have a director of football who's like focus and drive and commitment is solely going towards doing what's best for the club I think it comes down to being a leader right and leaders have an image right that's what a lot of leaders are prime ministers queens whatever they are it's an image that you have to propel amongst the people that are following you and Drew is probably right Tony's involvement day to day is probably not huge but if you're going to be a figurehead if you're going to be the man that's the public face of it and you've barely tweeted about or mentioned Fulham for best part of six months, yet every day it's about something else that people can't relate to in another country, people are going to get frustrated by that. And you only have to look at other director of footballs. I mean, quite a lot of them aren't on Twitter. They're at, they're at the ground every day. Stuart Webber for Norwich, he's at Norwich every day. He's at every single game. And whilst Tony may be stuck in America, fair enough, and maybe he is engaged every day, but we can't see that as fans. And if he can't realise that that's why the fan base is, you know, furious with him right now, and maybe, look, he's a scapegoat for a bigger problem that, as Drew says, it's not Tony's fault that Ivan Cavallero can't cross a ball. But also, he is a figurehead, and you have to take the rough with the smooth of being a leader. And, and and I'm not surprised he's getting it in the neck from so many quarters right now. And I'm personally starting to think it's getting untenable. And surely Shahid Khan at some point has to see that. But maybe he just doesn't care. Because as Jam says, he's got other sport franchises that he seemingly doesn't care if they go down the pan either. But apart from, unlike the Jags, we can get relegated. Yeah, I, I think, you know... My biggest issue with, with Khan at the moment is like we always he's always quite quick to talk about the things that go well, but then when things don't go well, it's there's very much a sort of abdication of duty there. Like, you know, when we went down last time, it was the famous FFT FST meeting notes where the club say, Well, we have no lessons, we don't think we have any lessons to learn. And 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 then you get 
what what looks like a nailed on second relegation in three years and you have the club have said no lessons to learn that to me in a nutshell tells the whole story and I know people listen to this and think, oh, well, Sammy and Jack, you had the chance to interview him. You didn't ask him these questions. We gave him the benefit of the doubt maybe the first time. The benefit of the doubt's gone now. It's gone. This is the second, this is the third relegation under the Khan's ownership. Like something is clearly not going right at the club. It seems to go just about right in the championship, but yeah, uh, there's loads of questions on this. So um, we will come on to it. Um, Ben, um, your reaction to, to Newcastle's win at Burnley earlier. I mean, it was Alan San Maximan. Newcastle didn't win earlier. Steve Bruce didn't win earlier. Alan San Maximan is a good footballer and he's probably the reason that Newcastle will stay up. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with this. You look at Alan San Maximan, he's cut above any other player that Newcastle have got and probably walks into, I'd say, probably... 14 or maybe 15 of the teams in the Premier League. It's, it's just as simple as that. Um, I, I think when you look at him in, in context to, to Fulham, we haven't got that sort of magic spark um, that Newcastle have. You know, that when when you when you look at someone to potentially drag Fulham back up off the canvas after this run of games to sort of inspire them to do anything, who immediately pops to mind? You know, for me, no, no one right now like that has that quality that St Maximan does. Um, Lookman is surely the closest that we have. Yeah, I think Lookman is is by, by far and away the, the closest that we have in terms of a, a consistent chance creator and someone that has that flair that St Maximan does. But is anyone is anyone in this current team going to drag us off the floor like St Maximan did today? Uh, probably not. Like it definitely isn't going to come from Ruben Loftus Cheek. And as much as I said to you, Sammy, on Thursday, he looks like he's returning to form. I don't think he could do what St Maximan did last uh, this afternoon. Sorry. Um, I think in terms of how I feel after that Newcastle game, uh, I kind of feel like we're dead and buried now. Um, when we, we spoke on Thursday, we said it was do or die. You know, we had to beat Wolves there and we had to have had a Newcastle to get a fortunate result today against Burnley in, in our favour. It didn't happen. And I think that now six points is not something that we're going to be able to overcome. The annoying thing is, Drew... It is possible to overcome it. And and I was talking to Mike Gregg on Twitter and he regularly puts up kind of charts of what Fulham need, what Fulham don't need. And it's all very like hypothetical and theoretical. But if Fulham and Newcastle won the games that they probably should, like, you know, should win, like we're talking about against the bottom, anything below Arsenal, basically, then Fulham go into that final game against Newcastle three points less. We would get wins against Burnley and Southampton. They would get a win against Sheffield United. They have a lot of top teams to face. Their their fixture list is, off the top of my head, uh, West Ham. Uh, I know they've got Liverpool, Man City, Leicester and Arsenal as their next five games. I'm not 100% sure if that's exactly the right order. That is a horrendous run. It is not inconceivable that Newcastle could lose five in a row now. Yeah, and and I think you're absolutely right on all of the points that you've just said. Um, and what what concerns me is that we had two aces up our sleeves. We had the superior goal difference, and we had the fact that if we kept uh, matching Newcastle scores, then obviously we go to that shootout on the final day of the season. And if we win that, we win within three points of them, which we were or or, or fewer, we win that, we stay up. Now we haven't got that and we're saying, okay, well, if we beat the teams we're supposed to beat and they beat the teams, you know, and then it starts to become super hypothetical. Um, after 32 games in the Great Escape season, we were on 24 points and we were uh, six off safety still. So it's the same sort of dynamic. We were eight off Reading who eventually went down 
down uh, and we were six off Birmingham who eventually went down. Great escapes require magical moments in the dying in the dying embers of the season. You know, when the sun's shining and you know it's you know it's the business end of the season. That's it requires a little bit of magic. We're gonna need that this time around. But you know, having said that, we've not had that all season. But if we had, then we wouldn't be in this situation. So it's completely still doable, and that's the thing. And that's why I said I'll, I won't give up until it until it's completely do or do, it's, it's it's mathematically impossible. It's possible, but it's getting less and less possible as the uh, or less and less likely as the games go on. And I think that's what it is. You, it's all about momentum, um, and we've lost any of that momentum that we had. And it's been this season uh, for me. It's been all about and i've said it before on the podcast it's been about the veneer of success we've had this sort of shine where we look like we're better than we were a few years ago for many reasons you know we've got the um we had the the series of draws and all these sorts of things and we but it's 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 such a a, a thin shield in front of us and behind it you know we're still a struggling premier league side who for for all of the reasons we spoke about today you know we, we're still no better off than we were a couple of years ago ultimately if we go down um, and I think that, you know, it's just, it, it's been so strange, such a strange season. We've seen the difference that, that, that one point and three points makes and, uh, yeah, it's possible, but it's unlikely. I mean, Coops, I guess the crux of it is that survival is possible, but what we're seeing at the moment makes it not very probable. Yeah, absolutely. I think I feel like I channeled my inner Oprah Winfrey there. <laughs> Were you silenced or were you silenced? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Ultimately, this team aren't playing well. We're, we've hit a terrible run of form. We lost four and five. And going into this crunch with in the form that we're in it just yeah I mean you compare it to the greatest escape things we're looking up you know we were playing really well and there was that real sort of team spirit that, that sort of carried us through and it's yeah we're just we're totally lack of imagination I think I feel like we're fizzling out rather than going out in a, with a bang do you know what I mean mm. and and to all the you won't stay up on nil-nil draws. What we'd have taken for three nil-nil draws against Leeds, Villa and Wolves, hey? No, we'd, have all been, we'd, have, we'd have all been livid if that happened as well. And <laughs> and now you look at it and you think, ah, three nil-nil draws might not have been that bad. Um, right, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then afterwards uh, we've got a stack full of questions, so we'll get into those. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. George Cooper. All right. And Drew Heatley. Hello. A real elite squad today, and uh, I think it's needed uh, given the uh, <laughs> circumstances that, that Fulham find themselves in. And, and an elite uh, bag of questions today. So thank you for all of them. Sometimes I never know whether we're going to get lots of questions or not, but it kind of really depends on the mood of the fan base. But I think everyone's so depressed that actually there was quite a lot today. So thank you for those. Um, we're going to start with Luke Resch, who says, would any other director of football keep their job after three successive Premier League relegations? Now, we'll temper this, that Tony Khan was not the director of football the first time, but the point still remains. Um, Jams. I think it's a, it's a very tough question. Um, nobody comes to mind specifically, director of football-wise, who've lost their job as a result of relegation. It normally comes towards management. Um, like the manager will lose their job after a relegation. It's very rare that a manager would keep his job after a relegation. Obviously, Scott Parker comes to mind, but he was the caretaker at that point. 
I think what needs to happen is that, yes, Tony can perhaps remain in some sort of capacity, but you need a dedicated boots on the ground director of football to come in, in the mould of someone like Stuart Webber or someone very similar to that to make sure that the club's fortunes are turned around. I mean, if we look at the pros- like the, the fortunes and prospects on the pitch at the moment, have we got a lot of sellable assets outside of Mitrovic and Angisa? Maybe not. I'd, I'd, I'd maybe point towards Tosin. Uh, maybe point towards Anthony Robinson, although it has tailed off a little bit. Harrison but- Reed. Harrison Reed uh, too, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for that, Sam. I, I guess it's it's a case to say that like we need someone to help us rebuild. And let's not forget in this in in this moment where Tony has been director of football, we've had two embargoes on us for breaching FFP rules, uh, and we haven't been able to rebuild as well as we as we'd like to. There's been a huge reliance on loans, which is why the, the squad changes so much, and and there is no sellable assets here at Fulham. I guess it's a case to say that. Whilst I don't think that Tony will be sacked, I think that we do need someone to come in and actually serve as that day-to-day role that we all hoped Javi Pereira would be all those years ago. Yeah, I think that's exactly my sentiments is that I thought that made so much sense, that move. And then he just kind of quietly got drop I don't know he, he suddenly got another job but it all, yeah, he went to all China didn't he all didn't quite seem right that and that's why at the time it made so much sense and we were so pleased with that appointment we thought okay great fine Tony's there the ear to his dad or whatever but there's someone kind of boots on the ground at Craven Cottage every day and there may be someone like that we don't know but right now we can only go on what we know and like sometimes I feel like the fan base get treated like idiots because we're ignorant because we don't know what happens behind the scenes but you don't tell us so what else can you expect the fan base to go on? Um, let's go back on to something more uh, aligned with the game. And um, George did briefly mention his performance, but we didn't go into it in massive detail. Drew, I'll go to you on this one. Jack Smith, what did you think of Congolo's performance? If Anderson goes, Congolo with Tosin at centre-back could be a good pairing next season. Um, don't disagree, but um, to coin a Jack Collins phrase, his bones are made out of Weetabix. <laughs> I mean, I think that's sadly what it comes down to. Look, I was impressed by Congolo on on Friday, and I think, to be honest, for what it's worth, it was a big call from Scott to drop to drop Tosin for him because, you know, I don't think that you can aff- negatively affect uh, a young twenty two year old defender by dropping him, uh, not if he's got the minerals about him that we hope and expect and think that Tosin does. I think it's you know it's okay to give him a little bit of fire in his belly and say, look, you know, you've not been performing to the standard you should. Now come and show us on the training pitch how you deserve to get back in. Now, as it happens, he's going to come straight back in because from what we can see on social media, Congolo's injured again. Um, which is, you know, uh, like in terms of not making the next game injured. We know, so it's, you know, in short, can he? Do I want him next season next to Tosin in the championship? It would be great, but I can't see it happening. I don't think that he's he's got it in him to to play a forty six game season plus cup games. Now, look, you know, we're. I think we're conditioned in British culture, British football culture to like sort of laugh, almost look down mockingly on a player who can't last a game and look down scornfully. I mean, I, I was very much, I used to hate, I used to really dislike Ledley King when he got into England squad. So I'm like, oh, he's fucking shit. He can't, he can't last, he can't, you know, play two games in a row for Spurs. Like get him out of the England squad. Now, you know, I, I now realise actually, I think it's probably quite mentally crushing for a player to not be able to, to, you know, go to the heights that they want to because their body's failing them. And I feel like it's probably going to be, you know, Congolo is going to be having that, isn't he? He's going to be thinking about that all the time. It's uh, it is a sad state of affairs in that in that sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, to get back to the question, I thought he was I thought he was good on Friday. Yeah, you know, 
but we're not going to see him next season, I don't think. And then there's obviously to loop it back to the recruitment idea. You know, how has that deal gone through? That's all I have to say on that one. Am I right in thinking he failed two medicals? Is that right? Allegedly so. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, we've heard, yeah. Right. I mean, questions some, question, need to be question needs to be asked, yeah. I mean, it's nothing on Congola, obviously, but it's just... Um, Fulham yeah. used to have the toughest medical in history. Like, you, uh, Fulham, like, we didn't sign, like, fit players in the past because the Fulham medical was, was so stringent. Um, yeah. Now we've got Dr. How- Nick from The Simpsons and he takes AC <laughs> Milan rejects. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Terence Congolo. <laughs> was that what AC, a contract? A- AC Milan, though, were you? Yeah, come in, mate. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um... Yeah, I, I I thought he played really well. There was a tackle he made in in the second half, which was absolutely exceptional. Um, Congolo, he seems to have one of those. I mean, I can think back to his three Fulham performances, and all of them have been brilliant. Man yeah. City in the cup last year, brilliant. Injured next game, QPR in the cup this year, brilliant. Injured next game, and then Wolves in the Premier League, a brilliant. Injured next game, it is honestly baffling um but you know i wish him well because he is a good player and he would be a massive asset if he could just somehow fix his body up a little bit and this one from ian hepburn says despite plenty to admire in this squad of players our core issue is we don't have any effective strategies to score a goal where does the responsibility lie for this khan parker or the coaching staff or the players if I'm going to go for the Peter Walton answer and still yeah. the fact you would say all of those parties mentioned, but I think it ultimately, I think it comes down to the coaching at this point, mainly because we've seen this trend happen for the tenure of Scott Parker. Um, if we look at the, the, uh, the championship season, we weren't great going forward. We relied on um, individual moments of brilliance, you know, long range shots from Tom Kearney, for example, uh, even Cavaliero Scorchers against Charlton comes to mind where he sort of like dragged us back off the canvas. And I think that ultimately, I don't think we've ever had that much quality in the final third, um, especially at Premier League level, which means that all the goals dry up. Uh, if you look, if you look at Leeds United, they've had Rafinha. Um, obviously they've got Bamford, which is, they're scoring quite a lot of goals there now. Um, and you compare it to, to what we have at our disposal, and I don't think we've got players on that level. Um, well, I think the interesting comparison there, Ben, for me is like, yeah, they've got Bamford and Rafinha. Yeah. Stuart Dallas has six goals this season. Stuart fucking Dallas. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he played in the 3-1 defeat to Preston two years ago for Leeds. Like he's an, he's a, they've got goals all over their team. And, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek has one deflection. That's the, that's the difference right there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately comes down to coaching. I don't know if you've seen, you guys saw the uh, the Athletic article that came out about Leeds United um, this morning, actually, um, talking about the way they prepare for the City game. They put in uh, sort of like double the training sessions they had. They, they had two murderable sessions this week as opposed to one. They just wanted to be fitter than Pep's team. And they wanted to play on the break and they wanted to play in a structured sense. And I do get this from time to time that Scott somehow pulls massive performances out of the bag. But more often than not, I think it's we approach the game with a let's try not to lose mentality. And I think that perhaps the coaching staff aren't focused on Fulham as much as they should be. Um, but I, again, I think it's a mixture of, of coaching. I think ultimately it's going to come down to a mixture of quality as well. Yeah. Um, 
George, Nick Potts says, is it that big a deal that we're going down? I'm really over it. So much better in the championship. More committed players, better atmosphere, better away games, no VAR. What's to like? Bring it on. Um, I, I'm very much starting to be on Nick's um, radar today. I, I think he's kind of spot on there. Yeah, I'm all for that. You know, silver linings. And I think another thing that I've found about this season, although it's been horrible and, you know, just one to put behind us, um, I think... The fact that all the games have been on television, we've not actually had to endure that at the cottage, I think is is one sort of small positive to take. But I'm I'm if if our fate as a, um, I agree with Drew in that I don't think you know it's over till the fat lady sings and it, we're mathematically down. But I'm looking forward to the championship because I think that's where we're heading. And yeah, we don't have to deal with any of the VAR nonsense. Even though I will caveat that with it has gone our way a, a, few, a few times this season, but it's just. No, and we're hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we'll be able to actually go to the matches. And, you know, we can, um, but I think Dom said in the uh, on the chat, it's just like, he it, it wants Blackpool to win the League One playoffs and then we've got that. You know, it's those little kind of um, silver linings that we can we can take. And I I, I enjoy the championship. I, I, I do genuinely like going into every game thinking that we can win. And I mean, yeah, I, a lot of people are sort of frustrated at the fact that we've become a bit of a yo-yo club but there are its benefits you know it's a lot of fun the championship you get more games yeah I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it <laughs> uh, can I just say it's a bit for me it sounds a bit like you know you've just you've just been dumped by a girl and you sat there with tears in your eyes saying well, I didn't like you anyway I want to stay in the <laughs> Premier League I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, you know, really? championship was fun, but I want to stay in the Premier League. I want to play against the best teams in the country. I want to I want my team to to be fighting in the upper echelons. I don't know. I just feel like you know, we've done the championship for a bit and we've had some fun. Let's uh let's try and have a bit of fun in the Premier League. If we can get if we can stay up and we can then build on it, it could be a lot different to to what it's been this season, but I don't know. Sometimes I find like the oh, I like the championship better anyway is a bit it's a bit, you know, hiding behind the smiley mask with tears in your eyes. Do you know what I mean? No, well, con- <laughs> to, con- to continue your dumping analogy, Drew, I'd say it's more like us crying because we've just been dumped and then your mate going, mate, there's plenty more fish in the sea. There's plenty more fish in the sea. I'd say it's closer to that, in my view, <laughs> yeah. Dan. I didn't want to go over oh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, or more like, I guess, being dumped and realising that you can go to the pub with your mates any night. It's not, it's not <laughs> quite, it's not, <laughs> it's not quite what your mum and dad would want, but you'll have a lot of fun along the way. Um, I mean, speaking of CM Quag, I don't think we need to get into this now, but he does say, how do you think our lineup will look for our championship season opener at Coventry in August? Probably a 1-0 defeat and um, CM Quark can look into the future. Uh, so um, very, very nice. I think we'll uh, save the what will our opening lineup be for, for the summer, but uh, definitely one I'm sure that we'll come on to. Um, Wheezy asks, Drew, looking back on the season so far, what should Scott's biggest regret be? All the nil-nil draws where we lacked ambition, the implosion against Villa, Anderson's red card against Newcastle, Mitro's shocker against Sheffield United, and then he just ends it with, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> for me, you know... Oh, for me, I think the the the, tr- the the real turning point lied in uh, not turning those some the tail end of those draws into wins. I think that we got really buoyed by the fact that we were getting some really solid draws. So when we when we swapped the system up and we got and Kearney got uh, dropped and slashed injured and we we dropped Mitrovic, I said at the time we beat Leicester. Parker's move he was vindicated in his decision because it worked. 
and after that we we got he was so sort of uh emboldened by the fact that that did work that we failed to evolve further and you know we're like we're like Wallace and Gromit Wallace in the wrong trousers he had steel steel trousers and nothing up top but a little plasticine head and that's kind of where we've been all season <laughs> is that, is that an analogies award? today love it <laughs> is that an award for the most stretch analogy ever but that's, <laughs> little little bear but go with it but that's kind of where we've been and he's he evolved and he got a pat on the back for solidifying us defensively and he never took it the step further and we've always been a puzzle piece short and we've got the puzzle piece in the squad and I know I sound like a broken record but the way the 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 cut of you know a man's jib a manager's jib is to make all of these things work and he's made the defense work but he's not made the attack work and he's had the he's had the puzzle pieces in the ingredients to do it and he's not done that and i think i'm not laying it all on parker's door but that that to me is where it's gone wrong well i mean another place that it might have gone wrong and and charlie asks this question and i think there's a, you know a real possibility that this could be the case charlie asks did fulham believe their own hype after the liverpool game seems like then we have been complacent um jams your thoughts uh, i heard this warning as when we beat liverpool that people said do you think this fulham team might just believe their own hype and that they're definitely going to stay up when they're very much still in a dangerous predicament i think i believe their hype to be honest with you because I just remember afterwards, um, Peter tweeting out uh, a really good article about Fulham beating Liverpool and how much they'd prepared and how they'd really gone and turned Liverpool over and tried to attack them. And I thought, I actually tweeted out saying that, you know, great article from Peter and that the Whites are going to stay up. And people were coming back to me saying, yeah, don't speak too soon, don't speak too soon. But at the same time, it was just like, yeah, I think we did believe our own hype. We didn't, we didn't really build on it. And um, it was just a case of like, we had a good foundation there, but we haven't built on that at all. I think there was like a flurry of interviews that came out before and after the match where, you know, we had like Tosin saying, oh, we can go on a mad run and we can stay up, no worries at all. I believe in the squad, which is obviously really good for morale. And it's good for us because as fans, you want your players to come out and say that and you want them to believe it. But then when you come back down to earth with such a massive bump and you get a string of negative results after that, it really is about how much character you can show. And I don't think that Fulham have shown too much of that. I think that they may have felt like the job was done when they drew level with Newcastle. And obviously we've had three chances to get out of the bottom three now and messed up every single one of them. And it now has resulted in us being six points adrift of Newcastle. And I think that we have not built on that platform that Fulham needed to build on. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all your questions. I have one more up my sleeve, but I'm going to save it for after the break. And um, I'm, I'm excited to ask you this one. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Ben, Drew and George. Uh, one final question that I want to get from all three of you. Um, I thought this was an exceptional one from Lawrence Craven. He said, if Fulham's season this far could be embodied in a film which has already been made, what would it be? Who would like to kick us off with this one? I've got one. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the thing that came to me straight away was... Uh, uh, 1917, the film that came out uh, a couple of years ago. It's just, <laughs> just yeah, like two hours of just relentless death and destruction without a single break in camera angle with all of these games coming <laughs> week after week after week, sat in my living room watching the same TV screen, watching the same people die uh, for, for hours on end. That was what it feels like to me, to be honest with you. <laughs> very, very good. Anyone else? 
Now, the one that, for me, like, I think it's a bit of a tenuous link and I've just come up with it on the spot. It kind of feels like Pulp Fiction for me because, you know, like the storyline's all the wrong way around um, and you never really see the sort of gold at the end of the tunnel, if you know what I mean. Like they open up that briefcase and you never know what's in it. And like for Fulham, it's just a case of you get all the way so close to finding out what the final answer is and they never give it to you. Um, uh, no, thankfully, no one shot Marvin in the face just yet. <laughs> very, very good. Coops, I reckon you've got a good one up your sleeve for this. Well, yeah, this one might be a bit left field, but I'm going to go for the David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, which is a surreal take on sort of Hollywood and nothing is ever as it seems and you're second guessing and it's about like how it, the, you, you project this sort of beauty and glamour of Hollywood which is the Premier League to us but then underneath it's got the sinister undertones and it's all about conspiracy and I think that that's kind of where Fulham have been like there have been flashes where you believe that we are this quality when ultimately if you look under the surface we're probably coming off a bit shy it was a bit of a stretch that one but that's the best I could think of I like it. Very Kermode and Mayo of you there. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the hand gestures as Kermode did, as, uh, as he does as well, as I was explaining it. <laughs> I went for, well, I, I've turned the Texas Chainsaw Massacre into the Florida Chainsaw Massacre, uh, given our uh, our Very two good. owners. So um, that was my one. Lawrence Craven, uh, excellent um, question. You didn't give us what your film would be, though, which I'm very upset about. So please tweet us back. And actually, if you want a bit of fun, uh, maybe tweet us at Fulhamish Pod with uh, how you could... um, Well, the question was, if Fulham season this far could be embodied in a film which has already been made, what would it be? Uh, Drop us a tweet, drop us a DM. Just uh, be fun to see what you you suggest over the next few weeks. I, I mean, lads, before we finish... Um, Arsenal on Sunday they face Slavia Prague in the Europa League away on Thursday and uh, we know what a tough team Slavia Prague um, can be and Drew if the Premier League did lifelines it does feel like this is throwing Fulham a small little bit of rope to potentially cling to Um, it's a tough challenge and I don't think anyone's just expecting Fulham to go to Arsenal and roll them over but it's a fairly kind fixture, particularly with them having to go away in Europe on the Thursday beforehand. Yeah, and Arsenal aren't the aren't the side that they were. You know, all of us of this age, we we see Arsenal in the in the lens of the Invincibles, even when they've not been as good as they have been. You know, in that in your mind, they're still you know they're still a big club, but on the pitch, they're not. They're a shadow of their their past selves. So it's you know it's a winnable game. They've lost twelve games this season. It's it's winnable in the terms of it has more than what it has been. Do I think we're going to get a result? I'm not so sure. But yeah, you say it's a nice little bit of rope. But I, th- I saw a tweet. I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it. But can we just, uh, if Premier League really wants to show, give us a little bit of rope, stop putting us on Friday. And it's not for the competitive advantage, just because it ruins our weekends. Uh, it has it has been an absolute bitch having to you know get over it on the Saturday and Sunday after your Friday's been ruined. But yeah, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, look, um, myself, Jack and Peter will be back in the week looking ahead to that Arsenal game. If you can bear us talking about Fulham anymore, I won't. I will forgive you if you <laughs> need to give any podcast a skip, but maybe you see it as your source of solace. And I know a lot of people do. So if that is you and you're making it to the end of the podcast and you're still consuming them despite everything that's going on the pitch, then uh, we thank you. And uh, hopefully it's, it's doing you some good, but sometimes I wonder if it's doing us any good. It does, it does give a little bit of nice solace though, doing these podcasts afterwards and stuff. Therapeutic. 
Yeah, and, and I had to go on talk sport immediately after the game on, on Friday. And I was really like depressed when the phone rang and I was thinking, oh, bugger, I forgot I agreed to that. And actually, I did find it reasonably cathartic afterwards. So sometimes talking about it does help. So hopefully you guys get the same experience from listening. Uh, all we need to do for the podcast today is name it. Uh, Coops, uh, you had all the three words earlier. So what would you like to go for? It was there were a final two that I'd go for, and that was either "Cheers, Lamina's Crying" by Mitch Sloan. But I think we're going to go for "Londinium Calling" with a drama triore. Very, very nice. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening today, uh, and have a, a good week. And hopefully, uh, you can uh, cheer up your mood after what's been a pretty somber weekend for Fulham. Ben Jarman, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you very much, lads. Uh, good to let off some steam, and looking forward to Luton Town away next year exactly that's what we like to hear Coops thank you very much oh it's been a pleasure mate and I'm going to go on record to say we're beating Arsenal on Sunday there we go that's what we like to hear Drew Heatley are you going to go on the record and say the same yeah I said it in the WhatsApp group to, to borrow from Stevie G's parlance we go again <laughs> right <laughs> what an end to the podcast thank you very much for listening come on you whites you whites